Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you would be, open your Bibles to John the 20th chapter. John the 20th chapter. In just a moment, uh, we'll begin reading there. If you're following along in the Bible that's in your pew, it'll be around 960 and uh, 961. We have had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. We are thankful to God for His blessings and thankful to each one uh, that has done their part to make this weekend such a blessing. Last night at the Young at Heart Banquet, we gave honor to some of the finest people on this earth. And what a blessing it was to be in their midst and enjoy the company. And it was truly uh, deserving on their part of what they received. And it was truly a wonderful, wonderful evening. Our young people served and the entertainment was amazing. If, uh, if you've never heard Brittany Luna uh, sing, if you've never heard Hannah Duke play the piano, you are missing out on amazing, amazing talent. I really mean that. You just, it's one of those things you just have to hear. And then there was a group called the Acapellas. They sang acapella. And uh, that was Phil and Kenny and John and Trey. And those guys were amazing also. A lot, a lot of... Um, a lot of entertainment there, a whole lot of entertainment and a lot of talent. Also, Trey spoke uh, to that group last night, and it was a blessing, his message was. Also, during Friday night and during the day Saturday, our Hispanic congregation, they enjoyed what they called a retreat, even though they, they came here to the building on Friday night and went back to their homes and came back Saturday. They enjoyed so much the time together. It was a an enrichment into their spiritual life, and we're thankful that that was a great success. They had about 18 uh, or 20 in attendance, which is about as many as they ever have in their services, so it was really an amazing attendance that they had. And then also the egg hunt yesterday was a great success, and we're thankful for each one that was part of that, invited others to have an introduction to us as a group of people, of the Lord's people here. We're thankful this morning for uh, Kobe Trawick and for his decision to be baptized into Christ, that was a great encouragement. And we are thankful that Financial Peace began their first session this afternoon and it just finished up before service and it was a great success. And then finally, do keep in mind that the SOS booklets are out in the foyer. Many of you probably have one riding around in your car right now or maybe at your house. And, and if it has one of these salmon color sheets in it, that's not good. So make sure that you get this sheet turned back in after you give prayerful consideration to how is it that you want to be involved in the Lord's work here. Again, we want to emphasize to you, this is not about trying to make a program look good. This is about trying to organize so many workers to do so much good. And if you are in any kind of, of mindset of, of common sense, if, if you've been in any kind of business, if you worked in any place, you know that the only way to work a thousand people is through organization. And, and that's simply what this is. It is the best shot that we have to say, let's make sure that everybody that wants to serve can be matched up in a place of service that is best for them and that no one's falling through the cracks and everybody has an opportunity to serve where it is best for them. And that's what this is an effort to do. And uh, it's worked very well in years past. And we invite you to be sure and be involved in the Lord's work in this particular way. We just sung a beautiful song about worthy is the lamb. What would the crucifixion of Jesus mean to you if there had been no resurrection? 
You know, the fact that someone would die for you should mean something. You should at least kind of accept and bask in the gift that Jesus was willing to die for us. But you know, there would be no reason to be here tonight. Because as wonderful as the resurrection is, it has no lasting power without the rest of the story, which is the resurrection. The crucifixion has to end three days later with the resurrection. Or we don't have hope, and why would we gather here tonight to talk about a God who is dead? Why would we talk about the hope of a heaven when he's the one that said he would come back and receive us in our own, that where he is there we may be also, if in fact he's not alive? Why would we have hope in a message from one who said three times in the book of Matthew alone, before he ever went to Jerusalem, he looked his disciples, his apostles in the eyes, and he told them no less than three times, I'm going to Jerusalem, I am going to be crucified, buried, and rose again. Now, if he did not rise again, why would we believe in one who can't keep his word? Why would we believe in one who is a false teacher? Friends, do you realize that every aspect of our value system in Christianity goes back to the fact that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is not alive, we have nothing to glory in. We have nothing to accept about this wonderful gospel because without the resurrection story, it's not wonderful at all. For the next few minutes, I'd like to invite you into a study of three of the many post-resurrection stories. And I'd like for you to see how for each one of these, their response to Jesus was a little bit different in what they literally said to him. But yet the response was always, now I have hope again, now I believe that Jesus Christ is alive, and now I am ready to go into action. I don't believe that you and I can truly understand the resurrection story and just sit there. I believe that if we're just sitting there, we've missed something about the resurrection story. Maybe if nothing else, we've missed it touching our heart. We've missed it becoming a convicting part of our life. But tonight, I invite you into a study to see which one of these best describes you. We're all different. All three of these leave us with very wonderful examples of individuals that struggled, but yet they came to a belief of the resurrected Lord. And notice what they did. The first is the woman who seemed to stay the latest when Jesus was dying. Mary Magdalene simply did not want to leave Jesus. And then to help bury him. And then on the Sabbath, they wouldn't have gone back to the tomb simply because it was the Sabbath. But the first thing, Sunday morning, she was among the very earliest ones to go back, still probably dark, going back to that tomb because she wanted to see her Lord. It's amazing the conviction she had, even in his death, to continue to call him my Lord. In other words, this woman that had seven demons removed out of her life by the Lord, she served him. And even his death would not take away her faith and belief that he truly was the Lord. Look, if you will, in John, the 20th chapter and verse 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. 
And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white, setting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. See, my Lord. They've taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Does that amaze you? How would that story read if that was a story about you? I want to tell you how I'm afraid this story would read if it were a story about David. Well, David went early to the tomb to see if Jesus was there. He was going to give some more preparation to the body of Jesus Christ. And, and as he got there, there was the heavy stone had been rolled away. Now, you know that the angel rolled that stone away not to let the Lord out. The Lord didn't need help getting out. It was to let the witnesses see in the fact that he was resurrected. And so the stone was rolled away, which bore fact to the, uh, that show, shown or proved, manifested the fact that he's not in the tomb anymore. And so when David peeked into the tomb to, to see if the body of Jesus was there, would you believe it? There were two angels there. And David had never talked to angels before, so he got completely intrigued with angels. And he started asking them all kinds of questions like, you're not flesh and blood, are you? Hey, what do they do whenever an angel in heaven sins? Are they all cast down and are they all waiting for the judgment day? Hey, can you explain more things? Because we have wondered for a long time, does every individual on earth have an angel guarding over them? Does it mean anything to you that this woman that is so desperate to find her Lord is able to look into a tomb and angels have a conversation with her and they're not able to show her what she wants to see? She wants to see the Lord and she's able to just turn away from Him and walk away as if it's nothing. Friends, I suggest to you, this woman was convicted in her heart of the love that she had for Jesus and she wasn't going to stop. Nothing was going to get her off course. And I think today how many individuals, they do claim to be greatly religious, but yet they seem to get on every other side road instead of keeping their eyes on Jesus. People today, and have been for thousands of years, some get wrapped up in worshiping angels. Some get wrapped up in worshiping Mary. And you can just fill in blank after blank that people get wrapped up in. And you have to admire Mary Magdalene here she couldn't be pulled off course. Her eyes were set on finding Jesus. And notice as we continue reading now in verse 14. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now pause there for a moment. How much heart did this woman have? Would there be any woman here, if we picked out the strongest woman, that could literally carry a corpse, a man, out of one location and across a garden and to another location? 
I suggest to you that what Mary's heart said she would do, she probably didn't have the physical strength to do, but she wanted so desperately to find Jesus. She thinks she's talking to the gardener that had something to do with moving the body of Jesus. And so her heart is telling and is saying, listen, gardener, if you will just tell me where you've laid him, I will go and I will carry him to the place where he should rest. Listen to that love. Listen to that focus. Listen to that passion. A woman that still, even while she believes Jesus is dead, is saying, my Lord, my Lord. Now, we're going to see that she had not really paid close attention at all to the gardener because notice the physical movement as we read in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni which is to say, teacher. Why did she not recognize him before? Apparently, she hadn't turned to face him before. And she was able to have a short conversation with him and not pick up on who this individual is. But you know how when you know someone very, very well and they say your name, you immediately know that it's that individual. John doesn't reveal to us if it was the tone that was used, if there was a certain way in which he always said the name Mary. However it was, it was very, very uh, customary for Mary to hear Jesus saying her name in that way because what her ears heard was, this is the voice of my teacher. And immediately her eyes turned to see if what her ears heard were actually true. You know, I know many of us in this room, we would know our brother Aaron Jones real well. If you saw him in a dark place and you couldn't make out who he was, if you heard him say his wife's name, you would know that that was Aaron Jones, wouldn't you? I mean, I could have you to raise your hands. How many of you have ever heard him say, Miss Mary? Every, all of us, all of us would immediately say, I, I could hear that in Walmart with my back turned, and I would say, that's Aaron Jones. Why? There, there's things that are, that are customary about the way we say people's names that are common to us. People that we know well, people that we talk to often, people that we love much. And we don't know exactly how it is that Jesus must have regularly said her name. But there was something about it. But here's what I want you to notice in tonight's lesson. When she turned to him, the interesting thing was she didn't turn to him and say, friend. She didn't turn to him and say, Jesus. She didn't turn to him and say, my loved one. She turned to him immediately and said, teacher. Now think about it. This is a woman who believes Jesus is still dead. She's not searching for Jesus, the resurrected one. She's searching for the body that has been moved to another location. And now Jesus says her name and immediately she knows this person I'm talking to is Jesus. And she immediately turns and says, teacher. Who is Jesus to you? 
Jesus has touched all of our lives in various ways. Hopefully he's touched all of our lives as the resurrected one. But in her life, he was her teacher. He was the one that helped her get on the right path in life. He was the one that had instructed her where to place her feet day in and day out. He was the one that taught her where to place her heart. He was her teacher. And notice what the result is. Naturally, she would want to go up and, and, and hug him and, and hold him and cling to him. But notice in verse 17, the teaching immediately continues. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to the brethren. Now, wait a minute. Did you say that word? What did we say about the resurrection? The resurrected Lord? That when individuals saw him, they almost always reacted with something to go and do. And so immediately, she is wanting to go back to that same relationship of, I'm Jesus and I'm walking this earth with you. And he's, he's standing off for a moment. And he says, listen, I'm about to send to the Father. What I need you to do now, rather than celebrating the thought that I'm going to be on this earth a long time. In other words, he doesn't say it this direct, but what he's saying indirectly is, I'm not going to be on this earth a long time. I want you to go and I want you to tell the others that I'm going to ascend. It's interesting, in that day and time, a woman was of such a lowly class of citizens that she was not even allowed to stand as an eyewitness in a court. And the very first person that Jesus shows himself to is a woman. The very first person that he says, I want you to go and tell the people that I am alive, I am resurrected, and that I'm going to ascend back to the Father. Jesus did more to raise the respect and the honor among women than anybody that's ever walked the face of this earth. And so here's a woman that he has enriched her life, removing seven demons out of her life. She sees that he's alive and immediately turns, teacher, and he immediately says, I've got a message. I want you to go and take that message. All right, hang on to that thought and let's lay down a parallel story that takes place just a little deeper in the day. Let's look to Luke the 24th chapter. Luke the 24th chapter. We're going to come back here to John in just a moment. Luke the 24th chapter is a longer story that we're only going to just jump right into the middle of one part of it and look at the end. This is the story of Cleopas and a friend who they actually were from Emmaus, which is a town seven miles out of Jerusalem. And they had gone to Jerusalem and they had seen the Lord and they believed, and he says in this passage, even hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Probably in his mind, he thought that meant that he was going to reign over the Roman Empire and that Israel would finally be free from oppression. And of course, you know that Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. And so they did wait. Even after he's crucified, they didn't leave Jerusalem. They did wait to the third day and he goes ahead and he mentions before they left what they'd heard and seen. Look at verse 22. We're in Luke 24 and 22. This is on page 937. The Bible's in the pew there, 937. And look at verse 22. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. You see, Mary and the other women came running back and saying, look, he's resurrected. But now notice, when they did not find his body, because at first the other women did not see the body of Jesus first, then came saying that they had also seen vision of angels who said he was alive. Now it didn't stop there. 
And certain of those, this would be at least Peter and John, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. So what did they do? They gave up. Well, we don't know where his body is, but we don't believe that he's alive. We're going to go back home. And so they start that long journey back home and Jesus comes to them and back up in verse 16, Jesus restrained their eyes so that while he talks to them, they're not going to have the ability to see who he is until he gives them the ability to see who he is. And so he begins to discuss the scriptures with them in 25 and 26. And he calls them foolish for not believing what the scriptures taught, that he would die and that he'd be buried and that he'd be resurrected. And 27, he began at Moses and the prophets and he expounded them all the scripture. And as it went along the way, it became close to evening in 29. And so they turned into a house to abide there. But he, Jesus, acted as if he would walk on further. And they constrained him. They urged him, stay with us. And notice in 30, now it came to pass as he, talking about Jesus, sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us, so they rose up the very hour. And what did they do? When they saw the resurrected Lord, what'd they do? They said, we've got to do something. We've got to go. They rose up that very hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road. And now he was known to them in the breaking of bread. You remember the previous week, Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper just after the Passover, and now it was Sunday. And isn't it interesting that these two individuals on the road to Emmaus, that he goes into the house with them, and he begins to do that same where he offers thanks, and he blesses the bread, and he passes around. And it's in that scene of devotion and of worship that now their eyes are open, and they see the Lord. They run back to Jerusalem. They traveled throughout that afternoon. They're ready to run back the seven miles. We've got to tell you what we've seen. Our Lord is alive. He is resurrected. What's the message? It's interesting how even though the highest priority in worship is to pour out your adoration to God, it's interesting how often worship actually moves us closer to God. You know, if we were to go around this room and say, tell us of times that, that you've grown the closest to God, there would be some that would be a lot like Mary. They would say, well, there have been times where I've been sitting and studying about Jesus. Individuals were teaching me. A, a teacher was teaching me. And those are the times I've grown the closest to Jesus. And yet there would probably be someone else here that would say, I tell you the times that I've grown the closest. It's in times of worship. It's in times of taking the Lord's Supper. It's in times of singing about how worthy our Lamb is. Isn't it beautiful? that the Lord gives us so many opportunities to see Him as the resurrected one. But again, 
the response is always a renewed hope and to move into action. And let's see another one very quickly and we'll close the lesson. Look, if you will, in John 21. You probably know this one very well, and I hope you do, because we're, again, only going to hit on the high spots. In John, the 21st chapter, we have the record of the third time that Jesus appeared to Peter. He was, if you will, somewhat bored, and him, and along with six others, he tells them that night, I'm going to go fishing, and they say, we'll go fishing with you. And as they're out fishing, they're not catching anything, and Jesus walks by them, except they don't know that it's Jesus at this point. Probably it's still dark, and they don't know it's Jesus. And so Jesus asks them if they caught anything they haven't. He tells them to cast their net on the right side of the boat, and as they do, they pick up 153 fish into one net, and immediately the disciple John says, Says, that is our Lord. Peter is so excited to think that it truly is the resurrected Lord. He puts on his outer garment. He jumps out of the boat. They're about 100 yards out and he makes his way through the water to go up onto the beach and to see Jesus. He can't wait to see Jesus. Jesus prepares breakfast. He serves them there. Can you imagine what that time of fellowship must have been like? The resurrected Lord. The one we saw die on the cross. He's alive. The one that all of them had forsaken him. And Peter had denied him. But he's still giving them an opportunity to be his disciples. And so it's in that setting that we begin in verse 15 of John, the 21st chapter. It's on page 962 and 63 and 64 there in your pew Bible. Look in verse 15. He asked him the question, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? More than these? Remember, we've studied in the past. We don't know what he was motioning at when he said more than these. It doesn't matter. We should love the Lord more than anything. Maybe he's saying you love me more than these fishing nets and these boats. You love me more than these men. You love me more than this city. Do, do you love me more? It doesn't matter. The question is, do we love the Lord more than any of these? The resurrected Lord is asking you and I that same question tonight. Do we love him more than any of these things? And you can imagine with, with probably a, a very strong confidence that he answers this question and, and he says at the rest of verse 15, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what's he telling him to do? Just sit back and do nothing. Just sit back and believe. No, he says, feed my lambs. And then he asks him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. If you love me, if you believe in the resurrected Lord, do something. But then look at verse 17. A third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then in the following verse, he prophesies what kind of death Peter will die. And then at the end of that, he invites him, follow me. What do we have here? Peter had denied him three times. And now Jesus is going to move him into conviction. Jesus has big plans for Peter. But the question is, does he have faith to sustain those plans? He's grieved. He's reminded of his weakness. But he's also challenged of the fact that Jesus hasn't given up on him. Mary... Tell us about the resurrected Lord. She say, he's alive. He's my teacher. 
Cleopas, tell us about the resurrected Lord. Say, He's alive. And when I worship, I can't help but see Him. Peter, tell us about the resurrected Lord. He would say, He's alive. And every time I see souls about me, I'm reminded of the responsibility that I have to feed those sheep and to tell those souls about my God. And then perhaps the greatest example of all, you remember at the end of Matthew, the 28th chapter, when he told them to meet him in Galilee and he goes up on the mountain and he has a final commission for them. You remember in the 19th verse of the 28th chapter when he says, Go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. Disciples are people that not only follow the teaching, but they follow the teacher. Why? Because the teacher is alive. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. Why? The Son's alive. Who's the Father? He's the one that resurrected Him from the grave. And of the Spirit. Who's the Spirit? When I ascend into heaven, the Spirit's going to come back to you. Baptize Him in the name of the Father and the Son. He's alive. And of the Spirit. Notice this. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. That resurrected Lord that ascended back into heaven, He didn't go back up into a corner office of a high rise and keep His distance. That resurrected Lord gave a commission that says, Believe in me and go and tell others about me and just know I'm with you every step of the way. Tonight, I want to ask you a sobering question as we close this lesson. Not simply do you believe in the resurrected Lord, but what difference has it made in the lives of people around you, at work and at school and in your community? What difference has it made in their lives because you believe in the resurrected Lord. We don't ever see, out of all the post-resurrection stories, someone believing in the resurrected Lord and doing nothing. The message for all that believed in the resurrected Lord was now get into action. Tell other people about your God. Friends, there's no message, no message any better than the message of our resurrected Lord. This evening, if you want to be baptized into Christ or if you want to come back to Christ or if we can help you and encourage you in any way, we would love to do that. Come as we stand and as we sing.